John 14, you find these words, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. And that's the promise that Jesus gave us right before he left this world, that uh, that he would prepare us a place and that he would come and get us. And that's where we're at in Revelation now. I mean, everything has been done. We've, we're through the great white throne judgment. We're through the millennial kingdom. We're through all these things, and it's just the saints gathered in whatever we're in now waiting on the new heaven to come down, and we're going to be talking about that this week. Last week it said the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. So whatever state we're in, this resurrected state, and whatever we're existing in, I don't know. But we got something good coming according to Scripture here just in a, in a little bit. And he talked about a new heaven and a new earth. And Scripture is, all through Scripture it talks about this, and it's very clear. Isaiah 65, 17 says this, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. We won't even remember what they're like. Isaiah 66, 22 says this, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your name and descendants will endure. 2 Peter 12 and 13, You look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And then we've got the passage in Revelation that we looked at last week, 21.1. So in, in, in kind of following suit with this, last week I told you we were, we were finishing up the third vision that he was in. And uh, tonight he's, he's going to be moving into that fourth, fourth vision. And it was kind of interesting when we... Everything in, in, in Revelation right now is focused on that heaven, that, that place that we're going to spend eternity with God. And isn't it interesting in the church today, we don't focus a lot and we don't talk a lot about heaven like we used to. And uh, heaven's mentioned over 500 times in Scripture and over 50 times in Revelation. And uh, Philippians 17, 20, let me read you a verse here real quick. Philippians 3 and uh, 17 through 20. He said, join with, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who are according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship, he's talking to the, to the Philippian believers, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like His glorious body. So we have these constant promises through Scripture. And if you read Paul, you know he was always focused on heaven. He was focused on what to come after. And one of the things that they were talking about here, if, if our focus in this life was more on the, the glory to come, it might affect the way we live this life more. We, we seem to be caught up in this uh, you know, instant gratification and a lot of the teaching and preaching, the prosperity doctrine come out of this type of thing that says, you know, everybody needs to be healthy and wealthy and pretty and wise and successful. 
And so it, it's gratification now, and we lose the focus on heaven when we look at those. So just a thought to keep in mind as we look through here and study this passage in Revelation 21, that, that the true victory for the believer is when we set foot in that final home with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy God forever and ever and ever. And, and that should be the mindset of, of why we live every day and what we do, and it should determine the way we live that life. And it, it just constantly remind ourselves of that. Revelation 21. We're about to get into some pretty good stuff here and, and have a good time with it. Starting in verse 9, I'm going to read down about six or eight verses and stop because it's, I don't want to cover too much of it at first. Starting in verse 9, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and came and said to me, Come and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with, with twelve angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So instantly we're seeing, seeing this magnificent uh, structure that's coming down. Uh, and we know it's a vision because he said he was carried away in the Spirit. So that's the starting of the fourth and final vision in Revelation. And anytime you see that. So remember, John is seeing a vision and he's trying as best he can to describe what he sees. And he says the holy city, Jerusalem. So he's referring to the place where God is going to live with us. And we see that all through Scripture. And something we talked about last week in that first passage there in verse 10 Coming down out of heaven from God. Remember we said last week, coming down kind of referred that it was coming to where we were. But the other thing that's pointed out there is divine origin. Because we, we know that heaven is up. Scripture teaches us that heaven is up now where everybody is. And so when something is coming down and it's coming down from God, we know it's something that God has created. And, and He's coming to us with it. And it talks about the glory of God. He said it's shown with the glory of God. And when you see that passage through Revelation, what that is talking about is the sum total of all of God's attributes. Not just part of them, not just this, but when you talk about His glory, because in verses, back up just a little bit in, in last week in, when He talked about in chapter 21, verse 3, He said, Now the dwelling of God was with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So we're going to live in the existence of holy God. So we're going to see Him for all that He is. And so that glory of God, that's just, just telling us, and He talks about the brilliance there, and He says, as a precious jewel. So John is looking at this vision and saying, I see this new city, and, and, and the best way he can describe it, as a singular precious jewel, and, and just trying to give us a, a understanding of what it was. And then he says it had four walls, with tw it had 12 gates, and uh, it has uh, 12 angels on those gates, and on the gates were written those names of, of the tribes of Israel, and the three gates in, on the north, south, east, and west. So we have a square, we can tell. And, and the idea here with the names of the apostles and the names of the tribes of Israel, and there's something interesting with the tribes of Israel, they're formed around that city like they formed around the tabernacle in the wilderness. Those, those, those tribes had a way to set up. They were, they, were, they were told to set up a certain way. 
And this, this reference to that, it looks a lot like that because we've got three gates here, three here, three here, and three here. And, they, and one commentator says it's pretty much in the same order. And then when he puts the apostles on there, and so basically what, what that whole passage is doing is just, it's just reflecting God's covenant with his people. Because once, once man fell, then he, he chose Abraham and he, he, he started the journey with Israel. Well, the whole thing about Israel was to get to Jesus. I mean, that's why they're there, to get to Jesus Christ. And then when he came into the world and then paid the price on the cross and left, then the apostles carried that on. So it's just, it's just signifying God's covenant with his people, God's promise to his people, and the fact that he always has been with us, he always has had a plan, he's always been working towards that plan. And in the end, we're seeing it even in the last city. He's saying, you know, it's still here. This, this, this is just to show you that, that I'm still doing everything that I said I would do. And he said the wall of the city had and 12, and the 12 apostles was written on them. So, so we have this awesome picture of identifying what this is. And then he kind of gets into the next, in, in verse 15, just moving down this bit, he said, the angel that talked with me, and we have this constant, see, we're constant thing with angels here. Everything in Revelation has come through an angel with John. And so that's continuing as well. And he said he had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And so there was, there was some, some thought process about what that measuring was but, and why he did it. But it's just God saying that uh, identifying with us. In other words, identifying what's his. But when, when he measured the city, it's just identifying with God. God is just making sure that we know what's his. And, 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 and for Scripture's sake, when he puts it down here. And so, again, we just, we're just watching what he's doing here and trying to identify himself. And in, in this final, final revelation of himself to his people, that there'll be no doubt that we'll, we'll be with him forever and ever. And we get into it. One of the things that we get into here is when we start talking about the description of the city. Now, you can say it's literal or you can say it's symbolic. And there's a lot of books written either way about it. And, uh, I mean, you know, there's going to be something. This is good description of any for me, you know. Well, some writers say it's symbolic, but they don't have an answer for what the, the words really mean. The, the literal approach to it says, well, it is what it is. Because a yard is a yard, a foot is a foot, and a mile is a mile, whether an angel is measuring it or whether a human is measuring it. And so most commentators who see Revelation as one of the three or four interpretations, when we get to this point, all that all the guesswork is gone. We're talking about the city. And most of them see this as a description, as best as John can describe it. But when we have exact numbers about how big something is, you kind of have to accept the fact that maybe maybe we're, we're on to something here. And so when we look at the measurements of it, and he said the city was laid out like a square, and we've already talked about it. It was as long as it was wide, and he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. It's about 1,400 miles, I think. And in length, it was as wide as it was long. And he measured the wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. So it tells you he was using normal measurements for it when he, when he looked at that and, and measured it. And uh, so the city was an actual cube. Now, you think about 1,400 miles in every direction. If that was superimposed over the United States today, it would reach from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico and from Colorado to the Atlantic Ocean and 1,400 miles up. Now, 
You can take that or leave it, but all I know is whatever God's going to create is going to be awesome, so I don't have a problem with this. One of the things I always say, if you can take Genesis 1-1, the rest of this ought to go down pretty easy. I don't see it. In the beginning, God created, and if He did, I don't have a problem with anything else I find in Scripture. And so, but this is a, you can think about the size of this structure, and you can look at it and say, well, 1,400 miles high, you know, that, how do we do that? But again, God has created it. It's going to be something we've never seen. It's going to be something that we don't have the language to, to properly describe now. And if He created anything, it's possible. How can we live in a 1,400-mile high city? Well, resurrected body probably won't have a problem with that. But, but the exciting thing is we have something glorious coming, and, and it's, not going to be, it's not going to be left over. It's not going to be made over. It's going to be something new. And, and I don't think he expects us to know everything we can know about it right now. No need to know everything about it as we look at it. Yeah, you say 1,500 on what? Well, most, a lot of them say, but actually, one actual reading I got was actually it's 1,380 miles. Now, so you get different interpretations on what it is. But, but it's somewhere in that area, 1,400, 1,500. I mean, you know, it's, but yeah, I know what you're saying, but, but I, there is different ones on it. And I'm not sure which one it is. But uh, but we're somewhere in that area of 14, 1,500, and, and the one figure that I said translated was 1,380, and uh, and so and then but the other and the other measurement is the wall is 144 cubits, which is about 200 to 216 feet. They don't they don't know where it meant thick or high. That's the problem. And so what some of the people that object to the literal this is, they say, well, if the wall if you've got a 1,400 mile high city. And you've got a 200-foot wall, it doesn't seem accurate. So it could be the thickness of it. It could be the height of it. It don't say. But here's the thing about it. What was walls for in the Old Testament? Protection and what else? There was one other thing. The greatness of your walls and your city said something, made a statement about who you were and how powerful you were and how great you were. There's not going to be a need for protection here. And so... You know, the, now, so the walls could, could be 200 feet thick and 1,400 feet high. Or they could be who knows how high and, and, and thick. So it doesn't say. And, and I checked several commentaries, and it, it doesn't say when it looks at that, that passage there. And, uh, and so that's kind of what we're looking at in measurements of this. And uh, how are we going to live there? Where's our place going to be? I don't know. It don't get into a lot of details about what apartment number I have. But, you know, we're going to be there. So. And, uh, and again, it says, by man's measurement. And he said, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Now, I ran into a problem there. They didn't have glass then, did they? I'm guessing somebody transposed that from the language. But I know what they're talking about. If we're talking about translucent gold, we've never seen gold like that. And again, I think part of it is John just saying, this is beyond description almost. Because all he's got to work with is his language. And he's looking at something he can't describe. And, uh, and he's saying it's, it's translucent. It's so clear. Now, and, and I'm assuming that that word glass is, is translated from something else in, in the Hebrew. And I don't know what that would be. And that's one of the things that I was looking for. They never did find. And then he talked about the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. And there's 12 of them there. And, and I'm not going to get into a lot of discussion about them except this. There's 12 stones here. There was 12 stones on the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. 
three of these are different by name, but probably not different by color. We don't know. So you see this connection all the way through. I mean, this city, and, it, and the way John is describing it, now it's whether or not those are actually gemstones or whether that's what he sees, I don't know. You've got to, you've got to, to say again, God has created this beautiful, perfect place for us to live. And so we're not going to understand it until we get there totally. There's no way for us to comprehend everything that's going on there. The interesting thing I thought here when he was looking at is he talks about the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. Now, that means those pearls were either 200 feet high or they were 1,400 miles high. And either way, that's a pretty big deal. What do you think the significance of pearl? And what's the difference in a pearl and the rest of the gems in there? Purity, what else? Big difference. It's formed by living flesh. By a, a, a living organism forms it, yeah. Here's what one writer said about it, and I think he puts this beautifully, and it kind of ties in to why I think pearl is so significant here for these gates. And you think about one single pearl makes these gates, even if they're 200 feet or whatever they are. And he says, how appropriate. All other precious gems are metals or stones, but a pearl is a gem formed from the oyster. The only one formed by living flesh. The humble oyster receives an irritation or a wound, and around the offending article that is presented and hurt it, the oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, we might say, is the answer of the oyster to the, that which injured it. The glory land is God's answer in Christ to the wicked man who crucified heaven's beloved and put him on to open shame. How like God is it to make the gates of the new Jerusalem a pearl? The saints, as they come and go, will be forever reminded as they pass the gates of glory that access to God's home is only because of Calvary. Think of the size of those gates. Think of the supernatural pearls from which they are made. What gigantic suffering is symbolized by those gates of pearl? Throughout the endless ages, we shall be reminded by those pearly gates of the immensity of the sufferings of Christ. Those pearls hung eternally at the access roots to glory will remind us forever of one who hung upon a tree and whose answer to those who injured him was to invite them to share his home. I don't think that could be said a lot better and, and, and just in reference to why they used pearl there. But that is so true. All of us in heaven are there by the grace of God and the price he was willing to pay on Calvary. And, uh, and again, just I think just a, just a reflection of, of God and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. When we're looking at, you know, and looking at the new heaven and what it's going to mean to us, and so that's just a basic description of it without digging into a lot of with with all the jewels and everything. And I, you know, there's there's some different things around about why certain things were used, but most of it is more of just theological speculation in the sense of the word. But but we can see from this that this is going to be a magnificent place that God has prepared for us, just like he said in John. I'm going to prepare a place, and I will come back to get you, and he has. And that place is being revealed to all believers now because, listen, time is gone. History is gone. Everything has been judged. It's all rolled over. It's nothing but eternity now. It's believers in God, and we're standing on the precipice of our new home, and, and, and that's all that's taking place now. And so when we look down to the bottom part of this, and then he said, I did not see a temple in the city, verse 22, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are a temple. Well, we don't have to go to church anymore then, right? There's no temple there. But uh, 
We'd be in church all the time. You're exactly right because he's going to be there with us. And think again just about God living with us. Think about, you know, if you just think about the holiness he has that he's going to live with us. And we're going to be, again, we're going to be in church all the time. You know, last week it said there wasn't any sea. Well, here it says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And again, you get back to that thing of glory, that God in produces His own light. I mean, He, he doesn't need, see, God lives, God is transcendent. He lives outside His creation to start with. And He don't need anything in His creation, and it's proof of it here, that He's all we need to live for eternity. And He can supply what we need. He said, the nations will not walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Now, here's where we start getting kind of tricky again. You all go, okay, it's just supposed to be just us. And all at once he starts talking about nations and kings and, and things like that. And basically what he's referring to here, when he says the nations will walk by its light, he's talking about people from every walk, every kind of people in the world. There will be people from every corner of the earth, every language, every culture. Heaven is open to anyone that calls on the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the message right there. It's basically what he's trying to say. The nations will walk by its light. And he said the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. We all come in the same way. King, pauper, it doesn't matter. You come in by Jesus, and when you're in, you're all the same. That's, that's the reference there because... You know, in the world, we see power, we see kings. And he said, the kings will bring their splendor in, which means the king will come in, but the king will come in like a child because he came in with Jesus. And, and again, well, you want, I think one of the things that Revelation constantly, constantly just throws at us is the importance of staying focused on, on the fact that Jesus Christ is the key. Jesus Christ should be should be the, the post that we look at. It should be the guide light that we go into this world with every day. The rest is secondary. He's first. He's the key. He's the only way in. He's the glory once we're there. And so the, the, this, when you study Revelation, it just constantly keeps bringing us back to that. And it said, On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. So there's no night. And why won't they shut the gate? Nobody coming in. There's nobody there to come in. It's 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 just it's it's bliss forever. I mean, it's perfection, and and we'll talk a little bit next week when we get on there. But it's 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 just the Garden of Eden, better than it ever was in the sense of the word. And he said, and he said, the glory and honor of the nations we will be brought into it. So he he comes back to that same thing again to the nations, and that's what he's saying is that that everybody who's accepted Christ will come in. That's that's what that passage is talking about. Nothing impure will enter it, or will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's going back to the judgment. Christ has already taken care of that. It's just a reflection back because he said nobody's coming in except those that have come in under the blood of Christ. And so it's, it's perfection. There's nothing to worry about. Nobody, nobody has slipped in. Nobody's been left out. Nothing is left undone. There's nothing to do other than just spend time with God and, and be in His glory when, when, we, when we work through this. And so, you know, and some of the things in that passage in is just a, in, in trying to understand what we take away from that is just a constant reminder that, 
that while we love this life and we live this life, our focus ought to be on that eternal life because we're just we're short time here as we go through. I hate to get into this next part of this, but any any questions or anything anything on what we've talked about so far? Because I just kind of boy, God's making something. We, that's what I'm saying. He's making something far beyond what we're capable of, of hanging on to, and He described it as gold. It may be gold, maybe something better. I don't know. You know, that's that's the problem with trying to get too specific on this chapter. But it just just to know that man, what he's creating and where we're gonna be with him is gonna be beyond expectation, probably. You know, we we don't have you know, it's kinda like we'll never since we don't know how glorious it is, we can never appreciate until it's there on the other side and to know the full full nature of it. But we can look forward to it, and just by this description, realize that it's going to be better than, than it's going to be better than anything that's ever existed here. I mean, this this old earth and stuff's not good enough. I mean, he's getting rid of it, and so that's a that is the the victory for us. A couple of things he pointed out. He said the final state of the redeemed will include full and free access to God. Full and free access. I mean, He is there for us, and we're there for Him, and it'll just be like this church fellowship. And that's hard for me to imagine, but that's that's what he said. He said, "I will be with them, and they will be with me." And and it says worship in heaven. I, I you know, and uh, so I think we're going to know who he is, and we're going to worship him. But it's going to be it's it's, it's going to be a beautiful thing together. All the enemies brought to mankind by sin and the fall will be removed, and we know that. That's that's part of what we've seen in Revelation. Won't be any any issues there. Nobody in life can fully understand what the new whole city will be like. Absolutely, we can't totally appreciate and understand and visualize what that is, and neither could God. He's seeing a vision. He's inspired to write, and he's as best he can. He's trying to describe this awesome city, this awesome place. One of the things he said he said an overflow of precious metals and gems is one way to think about the final state. One of the commentaries I read said he. The reason he's talking about so much beauty and so much richness in the gems and the golden thing is just to realize he, he's trying to find a way to just tell you how, how magnificent it is. And uh, it's kind of hard to do for him. Eternal light is another way to think about the blessedness of final salvation. It's like eternal light emitted by a holy God. We're not worried about a sun or a moon or any of that. And then, of course, all sinners are excluded from 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 that place in the heavenly bliss where we're at. And so it just it just makes application to our life that, that God has promised. And we read through Scripture, and it, it's just an encouragement each day that we can walk in life each day and realize no matter what happens in this life and in this world, there's coming a day when our God has not forgot us, when we're going to be in this perfect place with Him because He's fulfilled all prophecy, and, and that's where we're going to spend eternity. And, and as Paul said, you know, that... He said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, Paul had the right idea about it. I mean, he was great with life, but at the same time, he he really desired heaven at the same time and, and looked forward to that day. And so it, and it I think it changes the way we live somewhat but to look at the glory of that. So, but, but good point. Anybody else? Well, now, last week it said a new heaven and a new earth. And then it said, I've seen the holy city coming down. So, and it's there somewhere about, it may be, heaven may be a bigger space than that. That's the holy city. you got a good point. I don't, I don't know about that. 
but that could be just the dwelling place. But why would you have gates and have gates open? And so it's that's another one of those things that that's unexplained in there. But it's an excellent, excellent thing to pick out. I, I don't know. That's another thing we'll get to find out. <laughs>